going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. Cole and I get another accredited episode coming your way. Yes. And it's one that I don't think we've covered in a while, outside of like a patient case, maybe. Years and years and years. It did that long? Years and, yeah. Wow. At least three. Okay, right on. <laughs> that's, I guess that's technically right. Then. Actually, it's been five. Has it really? Yeah, oh yeah. Is it one of our first episodes? Yeah. Well, probably in the top 30. Hmm. Okay, well. Which it goes to show how long we've been doing this. So long. So long. You'd think we'd be a lot more successful. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Maybe we're not that good at it. You'd think we'd learn more. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But if you haven't figured out already, I'm sure you have. But we're obviously talking about smoking cessation tonight. <laughs> if you weren't thinking that, then what's then, wrong with you? Yeah, then, uh, well, that's the title. I just got a notification that we went live. Oh, did you? Oh, cool. Nice. That we went live? Yeah. That is nice. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be doing smoking cessation tonight, just kind of doing a review of the pharmacotherapy. Um, this is an accredited episode, so for those of you who are free CE members um, and have unlimited memberships or their, their gold or platinum memberships, then you already have access to all of the accredited episodes. And so if you listen to the podcast, you'll go and take the post-activity test, which is a 10-question multiple-choice test, go through that, and you'll get your one hour of continuing education credit for pharmacists and nurses. So we will give you a super-secret password at some point during this episode and that will be your ticket into taking that post-activity exam it will and then we we really should set some sort of alarm to remind us to do that i know i feel like we've forgotten a couple times you know since we're live we could just tell somebody to let yeah, us know some, halfway through that's a good idea somebody, like 20 minutes somebody just, let us know just tell us but uh it's you know, if, if those of you who are not free ce members obviously um if you can't get the the credit Check out their website. They have a, a whole huge library of monographs, live CEs, the podcast episodes that we've done. Um, they have mini CEs, um, all kinds of different stuff. So they have a, a great library to choose from, lots of learning opportunities. So definitely check out the, the website and become a member if you're not, so you can listen to our podcast and actually get credit for it. Yes. So thanks to Free CE, as always, for continuing to partner with us. And uh, yeah, let's get rolling, I guess. Let's get rolling. So we're going to start off with a little bit of uh, pathophysiology of cigarette smoking. Um, of course, you can get um, nicotine in various forms, but uh, the most traditional way is through cigarette smoking um, or through um, smokeless tobacco. Uh, usually what we're talking about is trying to quit cigarette smoking. Um, so what does cigarette smoking do in the brain? Why is it addictive? And why do the things that we have to treat it help? Um, Cigarette smoking and the nicotine associated causes direct stimulation of the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, which leads to stimulation of dopamine in the mesolimbic pathway. And so you hear a lot about the kind of the dopamine boost that you get from smoking a cigarette. Um, of course, this is affecting the reward pathway, um, could cause mood elevation, appetite suppression. So frequently uh, patients will um, lose weight from smoking, or at least when they stop smoking, they'll probably gain some weight. Mm -hmm. um, after exposure to nicotine, those uh, acetylcholine receptors are blocked for a short time. Both nicotine and acetylcholine are blocked from binding at that time. There's no stimulation of um, the mesolimbic dopamine receptors during this brief period of time. So chronically, tobacco use can lead to excessive upregulation of those nicotinic acetylcholine receptors um, to compensate for that. So dopamine receptors are downregulated due to excessive dopamine uh, stimulation and this can cause other issues that we'll talk about yeah and so we know that obviously besides the the addictive you know side of of nicotine um, it also has various physiological responses as well and so for example nicotine can cause a stimulation of adrenal glands and uh, epinephrine release um, so the overproduction of epinephrine is, is going to eventually lead to cardiac, you know, changes and increased heart rate and, you know, increased blood pressure over time. Um, nicotine also will stimulate the release of glucose and insulin suppression. And so you tend to have uh, situations where the patient may have more uh, more frequent hyperglycemia or at least harder times controlling their blood sugar in some situations where, especially with excessive nicotine use. 
Um, frequent fluctuations in dopamine, obviously, like Cole was saying, can lead to periods that affect the patient's overall you know, mental health and well-being. And so the patients, when they have these you know, fluctuations in dopamine, they're getting these periods of you know, strong stimulation and that, you know, like Cole was saying, the reward pathway of all that dopamine release. But then as those levels start to go back down again, you know, the, it can lead to fatigue and you know, feelings of depression and um, lack of motivation and that type of thing. And uh, this kind of back and forth fluctuation can can definitely lead to an increase in the frequency of tobacco use because you're trying to you know, overcompensate for the the lack of the dopamine response. So the number of cigarettes per day starts going up and up, and, and there you go. It's a vicious cycle. Right. So in the brain, that's part of the reason why it has addictive properties. Um, but it's multifaceted as to the addiction process, which doesn't just apply to nicotine, also applies to other types of uh, addiction like um, other drugs and things like that, uh, which is that there's this physical addiction happening in the brain along with the withdrawal symptoms and the, the um, need to avoid those withdrawal symptoms. And then there's the behavioral component, which is... Um, it being habit forming in some way. I think this is particularly distinct with um, smoking. And um, within that, you get this kind of conditioning response every time that you smoke um, that can be associated with certain activities, for instance. Um, so if you normally, you know, have a cigarette with your morning coffee, then you're going to associate your morning coffee with a cigarette. Um, if you have a cigarette while you're driving in the car, then you're going to associate car rides with a cigarette. Same with breaks at work and things of that nature. So part of the, the um, multifaceted approach to treating the addiction is avoidance of those triggers or finding some way to compensate for those triggers that are going to um, increase your risk for having a craving at that specific time. Yeah, absolutely. And have you talked to anybody who it wasn't even the fact they were craving the nicotine? It was literally just the habit of being in the car, sitting in traffic. That's just been their thing they've done for, you know, ever. And that's just that hand to mouth type of movement has just become ingrained in their schedule. I mean, I think everybody can relate on maybe a less significant level with food, you know, Mm -hmm. you associate or caffeine, caffeine, you associate stressful times with like eating something. Or Mm -hmm. maybe for me, it's always if I'm just laying there vegging out in the evening after my kid's asleep, then I'm just going to go grab a bag of chips and just start munching on some chips. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason why I'm unhealthy is because I do great all throughout the day. And then 8.30 8.30 comes, and I sit on the couch and start eating chips. I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't uh, I didn't know how to, <laughs> know how to, approach, it. <laughs> how to approach the subject. Yeah, I was just like, hey, man, have you thought about taking a stack? <laughs> I did, oh, I did actually get my blood drawn like two weeks ago. This nice. Is, oh, this is the cool. Results. They, they blew your vein. Blew That's my nice. vein, and um, my cholesterol was a teensy bit high. Uh-huh. So okay. it was- Trying to chips. make some changes. It is the chips. The, the chips, I mean, if you look, it says no cholesterol. I mean, uh, you know, well, yeah, yeah. it's multifaceted. I was going to say, I think it's, you, you're, that's your word of the night, yeah. by the way. It's good. Mo- Mo- multifaceted. Is that the third time? At least. It's multifactorial. Fact- oh, no. Um, but Yeah, uh, so I, I got to make some changes. Yeah. I don't know if the cholesterol and the diet nutrition label correlates yeah. directly with LDL yeah. production. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> but, you know. It's, in my mind, I'm like, oh, look, they, they, they are no cholesterol. They, yeah, it's good to go. Yeah. These Doritos are good for me. <laughs> So uh, nicotine addiction, you know, there's a difference between someone who, not that it's, you know, we're advocating for any even social use of of cigarettes, but the difference between someone who is using, you know, or smoking a cigarette just out with friends, but then doesn't actually continue that, you know, at home versus like nicotine addiction. Um, Really, the, the addiction aspect is characterized by the specific withdrawal syndrome that's associated with stopping, you know, the the nicotine. And so the, the kind of first sort of signs and symptoms are going to start developing pretty quickly. Um, I mean, within the first few hours to 12 hours of smoking cessation without any other type of, um, you know, supportive therapy or anything, the patient's definitely going to start having those, those withdrawal syndrome symptoms, um, starting to occur, you know, craving for tobacco in in general, um, patients can be really irritable, um, sometimes, you know, patients can be more likely to, to have, you know, aggressive tendencies or uh, more, ang- they can be more anxious, you know, depressed. Um, like Cole mentioned, the increase in appetite can, you know, be definitely alarming to patients who have struggled with keeping their weight off or, you know, maybe just recently lost some weight. Um, they can have difficulty concentrating, um, headaches, insomnia, 
dizziness, vertigo, you know, so depending on any kind of like comorbidities they may have, you can really exacerbate a lot of different issues and overall just make it uh, for a very, very uncomfortable process of trying to get your body off of that nicotine. Um, the, the symptoms, the manifestations of, you know, withdrawal are, are temporary, but, you know, they're going to potentially reach their greatest intensity within the first one to three days. Um, three to four, you know, weeks, they still can be present in as as many as 40% of patients. So it's a Mm -hmm. long process of trying to, you know, go through this withdrawal, you know, this withdrawal process and and get the you know, your body back to baseline. And uh, it's, you know, important, especially if, I mean, I don't know why you would want to do it without assistance with, you know, pharmacology, but if you have a patient who does just kind of being upfront with them and even the ones that are going to have supportive care, being upfront that this is going to be a, a tough road and, you know, just give them realistic expectations. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Um, there are a number of tools that you can have in your tool belt to assist with that because we have, we're going to talk about the medications and the nicotine replacement therapy, but a lot of it is uh, behavioral and a lot of it is uh, meeting the patient where they're at in, you know, assessing their readiness to quit. Um, my granddad smoked for like 48 years. I think he started smoking when he was like 12 years old, nice. which is just crazy. It's a different about. time. It's a different time. Um, but I, I think he, he, um, uh, he had something done, and, and it turned out that he had some sort of heart disease or high cholesterol or blockage. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, sounds hereditary. He, he was like, "What do I need to do?" And the doctor was like, "You need to stop smoking." So he stopped smoking, just no, like that. No NRT, no meds. Or Didn't need like that. it. Didn't a different need time, it. Different, different generation, different, different generation. much stronger generation. Yeah, they could do stuff like that. But of course, not everybody can. And what's the what's the number of times that people always say it takes like seven attempts on average or something to quit? Or there's some it takes. <laughs> multiple attempts you never heard that there yeah i can't think of what it is though and i'm I'm gonna say the wrong thing so i'm not gonna say well you know who knows if that's even what's that based on but the (laughs) idea is that it takes multiple attempts but it's cool to say it makes you sound very insightful i suppose if you do it seven times you'll you'll be an expert if you say if you say it without conviction in your in your voice that doesn't sound like it sure doesn't um but there there it takes multiple times so the point is we're gonna give you over the next few minutes some um Things that you can use, and it's a couple of acronyms and some tools that obviously you're not going to memorize by listening to a podcast, but it's really just to kind of give you some, um, I don't know, insight into some things to be thinking about as you're addressing these patients. Some some psychology, it's like psychology. models, yeah, yeah psychological cool. counseling, psychological cool, cool yes, models. you know those words. So one is called the five A's model. So as you can imagine, there's going to be five words that start with A. It's going to follow up with something that you should be doing. Um, and these are five steps that are usually needed to treat tobacco use and dependence in a clinical setting. And they are ask, advise, assess, assist, and arrange. I think that was five. Yep. Five A's. So you firstly, got we're going to ask about the tobacco use. Um, which is meaning identify and document tobacco use status for every patient at every visit. So you'll see this in notes all the time, that it's that it's addressed or at least being documented that it's addressed. But the idea is just to be asking every time that they are interfacing with a medical professional that we ask them about their willingness to quit. Um, then we advise quitting in a clear, strong, and personalized manner. Urge every tobacco user to quit at every visit. Um, and then... Based on that, you can assess if they are willing to make a quit attempt. And we'll talk about the trans-theoretical model of change. The amount of times I've heard that phrase Mm -hmm. in in my life. Sounds important. Makes me want to fall asleep. Oh, well. Um, But um, especially the word trans-theoretical. Where else do you hear that except for in this Well, it doesn't sound like you're very ready to accept change in your own life. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would do some more searching. I'd be on the early early phase of the trans-theoretical model. I digress. So you want to assess the willingness to quit. So are they willing to make a quit attempt? Because if they're not, odds are it's not going to be a successful attempt. Um, If they are willing, you're going to assist them in the quit attempt. For um, You're going to offer medication, uh, provide or refer to counseling or additional treatment uh, to help the patient quit. And then if they go forward with that, you want to arrange follow-up for a patient willing to make a quit attempt, um, provide follow-up contacts beginning the first week after the quit date, so you want to establish, maybe they're not going to quit that day. Uh, maybe they need to get the medications in order. Maybe they have some things going on. You want to ask them 
for a specific quit date, which kind of makes them, um, it's almost like scheduling it. It's like making a commitment. Uh, and then it's, it's exactly, it's almost exactly like scheduling. <laughs> it, it is scheduling it and it is making a commitment. Uh, <laughs> and then you tell them I'll follow up with you or somebody will or, follow up with you yeah, at, this, else. at this given time to see how you're doing mm-hmm. and to kind of hold you accountable to sort of hold you accountable right? or to literally, I'm trying to avoid, you know how it's people get annoyed when you say literally all the time. Mm-hmm. So instead I just say sort of. I don't think that. I think those are totally different. Those are very different words. <laughs> I think. I think maybe we need to find a different synonym. Maybe I should just avoid qualifiers. Yeah. In every sense. That's true. But you know, they're easy to easy to throw in there. Yeah, I like to hedge. You know, I hear you. I'm Dude. a hedger. Oh, big time. Yeah. Sometimes I just keep on talking until I <laughs> just feel like I've just bored everyone to death and they can't possibly be focused anymore. So that's the five A's model. Yes. So. This is the one thing I have with the five A's, and we'll get into the, the five R's next, which I feel like I like that one. I like that list better. A little further down little the alphabet. Further, yeah. <laughs> a little, little bit more my style, I think. But the uh, the advice quitting, you know, this whole idea of like in a strong, you know, personalized man, personalized manner is good, I guess. But urging, you know, the patient to quit at every visit. You know, my personal philosophy on that is, you know, it depends on the patient's personality and all that. But the patients that clearly don't want to be lectured about it. It drives me crazy when I hear people like, well, you know, smoking is really bad for you. They, they know. <laughs> they, they've heard. So it's just, it, I, that part of it drives me crazy. I, I feel like I end up kind of either to show them the harm or whatever, I'll use like the the um, ASCVD risk calculator kind of like with smoking versus without smoking or something along those lines maybe, but they all know it, it's bad for your health overall. They do, so, and I think the calculator is a great thing. And I think the third R in the R's model is... I think a more positive approach, yeah. especially depending on what's been tried, right? Mm-hmm. You probably know your patients, but yeah. um, I think sometimes you can attract attract more flies with honey, as it were. Dude, we're filled with all kinds of <laughs> anecdotes and quips tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the five R's. So let's get into this model, which is a little bit different and a little bit, a little bit, a little bit better than Cole's T model, but the uh, A A model, what am I saying? I'm thinking of trans-theoretical. But uh, so the five R's, relevance, uh, risks, rewards, roadblocks, repetition. Um, So, you know, what is the relevance of quitting to the patient? Which I do, I'm a big fan of, obviously, of making things very patient-specific, and this kind of goes back to that whole motivational interviewing, and which you guys know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that term, but I like the tactic <laughs> and uh, you just don't like labels. I just hate the label of motivational. <laughs> you like everything else about yeah, what it is. But just, you just, let's just like call it, it just that. call it talking to somebody kind of like how I don't like the label trans theoretical model of change. Yeah. I like the, I like the you model. Like the, I just don't like what it's called. You like the theory. <laughs> yeah. The theory. But uh, you know, asking the why kind of why if and this is more so obviously for a patient who may be contemplating, you know, quitting and so if you if you have a patient that is willing to kind of admit the the why it would be beneficial to their health or or you know beneficial to them overall for you know setting a quit date and actually getting off of the cigarettes you know they, then that can obviously help with their buy-in and you know kind of lead them along that path of them sort of taking charge of their own you know quitting process but uh, the the risks again I'd, say, I'd take that with a little bit of hesitation because they know the risks at this point you know we all have the internet we're all aware of those risks so i feel like beating that over you know over and over again is kind of irrelevant but so you'd be hard pressed to find somebody scratching their head saying it really increases Wait, my it risk does, for heart it does what i thought it was like super good for me <laughs> but uh you know the rewards of quitting whether that be the patient's ability to you know just have better like lung function and quality of life from maybe an exercise potential standpoint or something, or just overall longevity, getting their blood pressure down and, you know, some of those types of things that maybe they can reduce their medication burden you know, whatever it is, would be something that, you know, would be beneficial to that patient and they would find value in is, is obviously what you'd want to kind of you know, schedule the, the quitting, uh, I guess, the, the the what's the word I'm looking for? Like the the idea of quitting, the the motivation behind yeah. quitting, kind of. You know what around. would motivate me? What? Oh no, the money, the money, oh, the, that's the true. cost. That's I mean, true. Man, I, I will I will do whatever I can yeah. to save four cents. Right, but, but you're cigarettes the guy, are expensive. They are, but yeah, again, I think that's kind of in the same like camp of they know the, the they, cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I know. They're like me when I go to Hibachi. I'm not. I'm gonna get the shrimp. Whereas uh-huh. you, you're like I'm not a dollar extra for shrimp. They're not. They're not that good. It's a dollar. It, it's way more than a dollar. I don't know how much it true is. hibachi, but in well, my hibachi places, yes, it's, it's, it's only a dollar extra. And no, and I do you not still pay don't get that. it. So there Absolutely you go. Yeah, not. no, you're not going to be a good candidate. And for there's got to be other people out there like me who, if you if if we were like 
assessing the whole budget, they'd be like, I can save how much by not doing cigarettes? I mean, that would mo- that, that would motivate me. Yeah. yeah. But yes, they, they obviously pay for them every time. They know how much they cost. They, they do. Yes. Roadblocks, you know, what issues they may have or, burn, you know, barriers to, to quitting they may, they may have in their own life, whether it be concerns for, you know, mood changes or weight gain or whatever. And then obviously the, the repetition with, with respect, obviously approaching the, the topic when you feel like you're not being um, obnoxious about it. Obviously, if, you know, the, the patient's starting to push back a little bit, then, you know, you, you want to still keep that rapport with the, with the patient. But um, yeah, so there's some, there's some, some letter models for you. Yes. You want to go through uh, the actual... Figurestrom. Figurestrom and see w- how, how w- dependent these patients are. I will, but first I want to address a couple of comments in the chat, which um, I really appreciate. So one, somebody must have obviously seen that I was searching for a word, and the word was colloquialism <laughs> earlier. When you I think said, that's my dad, actually. Oh, is, yeah, he's on when, LinkedIn. When you said we're full of um, we're full of like anecdotes and things. Clips, yeah. I was about to say something. I, and couldn't, I couldn't think of the right word, yeah. yeah. Colloquialism. Like, colloquialism. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, also, um, Jeremy says, love the podcast. It's been a great resource uh, to spike interest during pharmacy school. Hope you guys uh, touch base about the Eagles trial um, and findings regarding neuropsychiatric events, which, uh, yeah, yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. Foresha- Way to go, Jeremy. Thanks, we like Jeremy. it. We always looking for the uh, Preach. foreshadowing. Yes. And then what is that? What, my buddy up there, Vinny, says, uh, Corvina, let, let's go. I'm ready to learn. He's ready to learn. Uh, he's one of my uh, former PA students. On to much better and greater things now. Love it. Um, okay, so another tool um, which doesn't have a whole lot of um, – maybe usefulness clinically, but is interesting and used a lot in studies. Um, I mean, I think, I don't know if it correlates, but I would use this to, to say, like, how dependent are they? If they're extremely dependent, maybe we're going to have a little tougher time with quitting. I don't know if that bears out in studies, but that's what I would think. Kind of using it just to kind of give yourself an idea of what the what the road ahead is going to look like potentially. Yeah. So this is called the Fagerstrom test for nicotine dependence, and it looks at a few items um, related to um, how dependent on a scale from um, low dependence, low to moderate dependence, moderate dependence, or high dependence, um, and it asks a few questions. Um, the most significant of them being how soon after waking do you smoke your first cigarette? Within five minutes, five to 30 minutes, or 31 to 60 minutes. And this is important because, of course, as they're sleeping, the nicotine is worn off. And when they wake up, if they're pretty dependent, then they're probably going to be craving that cigarette soon. Um, If their dependency is less, then they could probably go a little longer before... It ticks in their mind like, ooh, I need to I need to smoke a cigarette because I'm starting to get some withdrawal symptoms. Mike mentioned four to 12 hours, right? Um, so, you know, you might sleep four hours like Mike. You might sleep 12 hours like me. Regardless, you might have some symptoms. You average out to eight. <laughs> yes, yes, so we average out to a normal human being. Um, the next question is, do you find it difficult to refrain from smoking in places where it's forbidden? Church and library, that was interesting examples. I'd imagine a hospital would be a pretty obvious example too, but... Um, airplanes air, airplanes good example it's frowned upon airports um i like that they use the word forbidden i know <laughs> that's harsh <laughs> that is very harsh I'm trying so let's to, just say that you will be in jail forever if you smoke and you're still gonna do it I'm how, to how think, dependent are you i'm trying to think of some other places where you can't smoke restaurants now i mean do you remember movie theaters movie i feel theaters? like yeah pretty much do you remember growing up and i mean they the had smoking section? smoking and non-smoking section which is insane and the weight was this so the weight was always longer for the non-smoking of course. so it's like sitting indoors or outdoors it was like so we got a 30 minute wait in this in the non-smoking but you could you could sit right here in the smoking section it's like all right i'll give my kids secondhand smoke right. lung cancer to not wait 20 more minutes Listen, for my chicken we, wings. we got plenty of things to treat <laughs> asthma now so it's fine i remember going into tgi fridays and sitting there in the smoking section, just nice. like, oh man, this is there's this a lot is of cool. smoke over here. Yeah, this is hard to breathe <laughs> over here. Yeah, that's funny. They, it's an indoor building, and they have like some areas that smoke and some not. Like, I know, like, as, as if the the yeah. non-smoking section was totally smoke-free. Like what, what, you know, the smoke is permeating over there too. Well, yeah, what year were they finally like? This is a dumb idea, right? <laughs> I don't know. It must have been the um, two, the early two thousands or late nineties. I mean, I can remember this, and I, you know, it must have been the early 2000s. Yeah, it sure. must have been. Because when you were you born, like 95? Yeah, like 94. 94? Yeah. Thanks for telling everybody my age. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I've said your age on this thing like a million you times. Have, just joking. Um, it's fine. We, we won't hunt you down. Yeah, so it must have been around then. Anyways, they also asked the question which cigarette would you hate to give up the first 
in the morning or any other. It's kind of related to that, um, you know, early morning. The one after work, traffic. Um, How many cigarettes a day do you smoke? 10 or less, up to 20, up to 30, up to, or more than 30. It's kind of how they stratify it. Um, And we'll kind of talk about pack per day calculations. Do you smoke more frequently in the morning? And do you smoke even if you're sick in bed most of the day? So really three of these six questions are related to morning cravings. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that's the, the figure strong test for nicotine dependence. So like, like Cole said, that's, you'll see, you know, that listed in patient's charts and whatnot, but technically speaking, you know, it doesn't have a super great clinical utility, I guess. I'm sure there's people that argue, argue that with me, but, um, you know, it definitely has its purposes for, for research and whatnot. Um, there's also things like the heaviness of smoking index, um, which is a two-item questionnaire that we're taking from Fragerstrom's test, and uh, it can be used clinically as, you know, part of, like, the new guidelines and whatnot, where they say low, medium, and high dependency, and, or heaviness, I should say. Um, so zero to one is low, two to four is medium, five to six is high, so a little bit quicker, you know, tests questionnaire to to fill out and get a get an idea of their their dependence um in a more timely fashion i guess yeah so pack year history that's the other term you'll see thrown around this is one that i do end up typing quite a bit in my uh chart although it's it's used very you know very commonly however the as far as like the clinical outcome and like whether or not that means anything it really doesn't i mean it's very subjective and i mean quite an estimate yeah it's quite an estimate quite well so you're calculating based on the patient the number of years the patient smoked patient reported patient reported um times the packs of cigarettes per day patient reported there you go so if the patient for example has a half pack a day for 10 years their pack year history is five so see how that works but again if somebody has a pack year history of say, you know, 50 or whatever, and then versus somebody who has a peculiar history of five, the person that has a peculiar history of five still could end up developing you know, lung cancer first or COPD or something. It doesn't necessarily correlate with, you know, outcomes of or negative outcomes, but it does give you an idea of, you know. It just kind of gives you an idea. Idea That's of, about of how, all how, again, I think it's all piling all this information together yes. so you can know how intense you have to go with the supportive therapy or, it or paints, what have you. It paints a picture. It trans theoretical picture. <laughs> Speaking of which, my favorite. There it is. I, I just laid it up for you, dude. trans theoretical model of change. You know, I remember when I, I first learned about this, it was first year pharmacy school, and maybe it was referenced in a psychology class I'm before you probably that. heard about it. I might have, but just didn't pay much attention. The, the first time I actually had to like study and understand it was first year pharmacy school. And I, I don't remember who that professor was, but man, that was a boring class. Mm-hmm. It was a boring class. So every time I see this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. But it's really not that complicated. Um, Michael laid out for you, but I'll kind of give you the short version, which it's... Um, Assessing how ready, in this instance, it's used in a whole variety of, of um, things throughout in your life that you could, you could apply this in psychology. But in this instance, it's really assessing how ready someone is to quit, which we know if they're not ready, they're not going to quit. Um, it categorizes patients um, to help clinicians know what treatments or therapies to offer. And the categories are the pre-contemplation phase, the contemplation phase, the preparation phase, the action phase in the maintenance phase. If you had to make an algorithm, it'd be pick a Pam. <laughs> yep. <laughs> an algorithm or an anagram? Ah. Yeah, we're really... Or not an anagram, a uh, Mnemonic. 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 No, no, no. no it's it's acronym. an acronym. Acronym. Oh, God. Gosh. We are so dumb. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell we didn't do great in English class? Yeah. Yeah. Is that an English class? Probably. I guess. I don't know. I wouldn't, re- like I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have remembered it. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think you talk about that stuff in spelling class, but I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. So pre-contemplation, you know, there's basically the patient, you're, you're sort of just kind of weighing out the benefits and risks, starting that conversation. There's no quit plan, you know, within the next six months, the patient is, you know, not seriously considering quitting or anything like that. Um, when you transfer over to the contemplation phase, that's where there is a, a quit plan that's kind of laid out for the next, within the next six months, they're obviously seriously considering going forward with this plan. And, you know, at that point you're using motivational interviewing and, and still just kind of keeping them on track for, for their quit date. Their mm-hmm. preparation, you know, phase is where their, their quit plan is coming up within the next month. Uh, they start making some of these behavioral changes. You know, maybe they change where they go in the morning to drink their coffee to kind of start breaking habits of just, you know, 
behavioral habits like that. Um, you know, assessing their, their dependency and, you know, which medication options, you know, could be best for that patient to kind of get everything ready to go so that when they hit the action phase at their quit date, then that's the, the goal is the first one to six days of being tobacco free. So having them, you know, obviously stay on their medication, you know, managing their withdrawal symptoms, you know, making sure that they have support from friends, family, or, or provider support as well. You know, some patients will benefit from kind of going through a, like a quit diary and actually kind of, you know, documenting some of their, their progress as they go through this, this process. Um, and then maintenance is, you know, after that initial, you know, quit you know, date and, and first week where they're actually maintaining their their smoking cessation and hopefully at this point they're you know still having that support but you can start the process of maybe even tapering off the medications and you know moving towards the final outcome which is them being tobacco free tobacco free we should pro- point out that the, i mean this is probably the best thing that anybody could do for their health probably which is another thing that i guess everybody knows right. but um it's significant. Like if you're talking about, you know, diabetes care and addressing all these things to decrease cardiovascular risk and adding on this medication, that medication, I mean, quitting smoking is the best thing it's you can do. One. Um, okay. So there's another treatment algorithm that's helpful that I'll briefly go through that I think is a little more practical. Um, and it kind of coincides. Yeah, say it's kind of just a mixture of all. It's kind of a mixture. It's got a little bit of the five A's. It's got a little bit of the R's. It's got a little bit of the trans theoretical model. Um, but it's really about, um, initially asking about the tobacco status and if they're a current smoker, are they smoking daily, are they smoking non-daily. We're assessing the dependence based on the number of cigarettes per day and their time to first cigarette, and then asking about their prior experience trying to quit. So none of the other ones that we've talked about really talked about that, but it's you need to, like, have you tried to quit before? How many times? Where'd you get? What'd you try? Was it successful? Then we're going to talk to them about um, quitting and giving advice and focusing on the benefits um, of um decreasing the risk for cardiovascular disease, then offering treatment, either behavioral or prescribing a med. And if they accept, then we're going to follow up in a couple to four weeks and monitor for response and adverse effects and that sort of thing. If they decline, we're going to follow up at the next uh, visit. And then depending on if they're a former smoker and maybe they're in the maintenance phase, we're going to assess relapses and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. This is called the pathway for tobacco cessation treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. We just so, gave you a number of tools. Yeah, probably more than you needed, but that's okay. Yeah. <clears throat> because now we're going to talk about treatment. But before we do, oh, nice. we're, we're going to give you guys the secret password. So make sure you write this down or, or remember it. But today's password is no smoke. We were going to make it smoke, but uh, then we realized that's kind of a weird password. So we made it no smoke. All capital letters, one word. That's the password, no smoke. All one word, no space. So there you go. So we're advising you not to smoke. <laughs> We were thinking not, about making not, not throwing in some subliminal advertisement smoke. Actually, yeah, I won't even tell what we were thinking because I don't want to confuse anyone. But yeah, yeah, it's no, is, sm- it's, it's no, no smoke. smoke. We went through about a dozen before we hit record. <laughs> it's no smoke. <clears throat> All right, so treatment options. Uh, the the most commonly used treatment options: spironoclin, um, the various forms of nicotine replacement, uh, and then also bupropion is another commonly used medication as well. And uh, we'll talk about maybe a place for like tricyclics and things at the very end. But the uh, the varenicline tends to be one of the main medications that you know we think of when we think of smoking cessation, and it's got kind of a unique mechanism of action. So it's it's a partial agonist antagonist, meaning that basically the varenicline sitting on the nicotinic receptor, um, blocking nicotine from being able to bind. And so if you smoke, you know with Chantix in your system, it's not giving you that, you know, release of dopamine, that reward sensation. Right. But it's still allowing for some of that dopamine to be released so that you're combating the the occurrence of those withdrawal effects. So that's where the the antagonism comes from. So it's, it's blocking, but that partial agonist, you're not getting the same response that you would from nicotine, you know, binding to that receptor, but you get enough to, to stop the side effects um, or the withdrawal symptoms, not the side effects. The... Adverse effects from the actual varenicline, um, the most common complaints, and, and these are dose-dependent because there is a starting dose, and then they go up to the one milligram tablets, but nausea, um, roughly about 16% of patients will say that it, it can cause some, some nausea, that uh, especially at the beginning. Sleep disturbance um, is reported in a, um, about a fifth of patients as well. Um, headache is another very common um, complaint with varenicline, but uh, definitely a very commonly used medication. 
And, you know, as far as like how to administer the medication, counseling points, um, some things to keep in mind, obviously take it with food and a full glass of water that can help cut down on some of the GI complaints. And then, you know, making sure that patients are aware that the nausea and headaches, things typically will diminish over time. You know, your body gets kind of used to the medication and uh, hopefully you know, the patient can, can tolerate it going forward. Um, and then also, you know, patients that are experiencing those, you know, really vivid dreams because they can either be described. Some patients will have very, like, vivid, pleasant dreams, and then other people will have, you know, very terrifying dreams and, and nightmares. And so patients who um, especially have, like, a history of PTSD um, that are already dealing with nightmares, you know, they, they are going to potentially, you know, be more likely to experience this from the varenicline as well. But if you do have a patient that is feeling like the varenicline is helping them quit, but the nightmares and, and dreams or what have you are being, you know, bothersome to their, their sleep quality and all that, then uh, have them take the second dose instead of taking it more in the, the evening, have them take the second dose at 3 p.m. And um, so they take the first one with breakfast and then, you know, taking the one with dinner, like it normally would be, is basically that the drug's peaking around the time it's, it's you're going to bed. So if you back it up a couple hours, then it's already peaked in your system so that it's starting to decline as the patient's going off to sleep. Hopefully, it's not a, a sure-proof plan to take care of the nightmares, but it, it can't help. Right. Um, and it's not um, like a, metab a drug that needs to be metabolized, so there's not like drug-drug interactions that we're all too worried about. Right. Um, so as far as um, concerns with Chantix. Uh, it's not a new drug. Back in 2009, the FDA requested that Pfizer add a box warning um, related to neuropsychiatric symptoms, including suicidal ideation, mood and behavior disturbances, um, and depression. Um, they since removed that box warning in 2016, and this brings us um, to the Eagles trial, which um, Jeremy referenced. Mm -hmm. you want to tell a little bit about that? Yeah, basically just showing that uh, the, the risk for... Um, Patients that are being started on varenicline that have, um, the, you know, schizophrenia, neuropsychiatric events, that, that it's not going to worsen their their condition. Uh, we, we would avoid varenicline previously in those because we didn't want to cause, you know, worsening of their, their symptoms. But after that study was done, they realized that it can be done safely. And uh, so without going into too much detail, just because I'd have to review it myself, they basically... Uh, had enough data to support the removal of that box warning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's varenicline. Jump into some of the nicotine replacements. Talking to some of the nicotine replacement therapies, which um, is what you think it is, which is to help curb... It's a replacement of nicotine. <laughs> replacement of nicotine, and it's a therapy, uh, to curb the cravings associated with um, quitting smoking. And uh, over time, because... Instead of, you know, you don't want to just replace smoking with having to chew nicotine gum or use a lozenge all the time. Over time, it has a process where it may, might assist uh, tapering them down until it gets to a reasonable degree and they're not going to have such significant side effects. So there are a, a number, actually, of dosage forms. Um, nicotine patch, everybody's probably heard of and seen um, iterated in, in many um, instances in uh, media and film and that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it comes as a 21 milligram patch, a 14 milligram patch, and a 7 milligram patch. There's also uh, the nicotine gum. There's a 2 milligram gum and a 4 milligram dose gum. Uh, a lozenge in 2 and 4 milligrams. There's a nicotine inhaler uh, with a 10 milligram cartridge. And there's a nicotine nasal spray. Uh, which is 10 milligrams per ml. The cartridge, or I should say the inhaler and the nasal spray are prescription only. Um, the patch, the gum, and the lozenge can all be purchased over the counter. Um, as far as cost goes, um, the gum and the lozenge are probably uh, the cheapest options, um, though are, are usually somewhat adjunct um, to like the patch, which um, if you're buying over the counter, some people, for some people, it might be, you know, um, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks a little bit for having to have it for a while. Some don't really like um, paying that much for it, but uh, the inhaler and the spray are a little bit more pricey too, but their they're prescription might be covered by insurance. I feel like uh, the last few times I've tried, because I don't do a ton of smoking cessation like in clinic, but the few times that I've done the patches um, or the, even the gum, I think, with just the Medicare plans that they've they've approved them. Yes, some so plans nice. will approve it. Some plans have certain NDCs that they'll approve. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have to play around with it a little bit with the billing, but yes, they can be, they can be covered. 
So um, in the chat, we see from uh, Vinny asking, what do you know about the uh, physiologic changes in tendons with smoking and reduced healing time with tendon um, reconstructions? So I need my, I need glasses, I think. Um, yeah, just reduce surgical healing in general. So yeah, I think, and I'm by no means some expert on this, but um, I think basically because you can get that um, the blood vessel narrowing and constriction that reduced blood flow tends to reduce the the rate of oxygen delivery, nutrient delivery, and so overall it's going to definitely delay wound healing. I think in general, which I would imagine that would kind of trigger over into the or fall over into the uh, tendon space but um you know it's, the other thing would be, be having some kind of a immunosuppressive property to it um so the risk of infection i imagine would be higher in a patient who's smoking as well i'd imagine so, um, so that's that's my just off the cuff ignorant uh, response there Vinny. well i probably wouldn't have had one so mm. good job um, LB also says, love the podcast, but the next one, are you guys able to update guidelines for asthma and or COPD? Yes. We got to do, we got to do that update on those. Yeah. It's coming up. I got to teach those, both those sections for the PA school here in about three weeks. So coincide. we'll have to be updated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do you want to, uh, did you, do you want to go through the, yeah, I'll go through the patch a little yeah. bit. Um, so I, I mentioned the patch comes in 21, 14 and seven milligrams. And, um, it's not always a natural start with 21, then taper down to seven, uh, 14, then taper down to seven. It kind of depends on how dependent you are, how many cigarettes you're smoking. Um, and I guess that doesn't really necessarily relate to how dependent you are, but it relates to how much nicotine your body's, your used. body's used to through the cigarette and how that might equate to the patch that you're going to get. And on the boxes is going to be the appropriate instructions for, for the patients to follow. So that's why it's OTC. They could do it themselves. Um, but it's good for you to know so you can talk to them about it as well. Um, if, uh, say they're smoking more than 10 cigarettes per day, then they would start with the 21 milligram patch and they would use that daily for six weeks. Um, and we'll talk about how to apply that and some nuances there, but they would use that daily for six weeks. Then they'd go to the step two, which is the 14 milligram patch. They do that, um, for two weeks and then they would go to the seven milligram patch and they would do that for two weeks and then hopefully stop. Um, if they're smoking less than 10 cigarettes per day, they would skip step one, the 21 milligram and go straight to step two, the 14 milligram. They would use that for six weeks and then they would go down to the seven milligram for two weeks and hopefully stop after that. Yeah, and and for those, I don't know if we mentioned it already, but you know, a typical pack of cigarettes is going to have 20 cigarettes with roughly one milligram of nicotine each. So the a pack of cigarettes is is a 20 milligrams roughly. So that's where the 20 millig- 21 milligram patch kind of correlates with you know the above the half pack a day. Um, so that's where the 10 cigarettes is is uh, a, you know kind of a I guess a marker for you know the the change in dose because it's a half pack a day. Right. So it wasn't just random right. thing. It's a lot of cigarettes. It is. So, so uh, as far as side effects we can expect from the patches, um, skin irritation, obviously, you know, because it's using the, the, the nicotine transdermally, you're going to irritate the skin, potentially um, sweating, uh, nausea, vomiting can happen, especially if the patient does continue to smoke while wearing the patch because it's going to be obviously more nicotine than their body's used to. Uh, mood and sleep disturbances can, can be common as well. Muscle aches. Um, the... Uh, the back hip can be a good spot to put the, the patch if the muscle ache starts to happen. It tends to be less likely to, to cause those. And then just some counseling points is for you know to tell patients that may be experiencing some insomnia or those vivid dreams with the, the patches that they should take the patch off before they go to bed. And, um, you know, obviously if you're giving a patch, it's going to be still releasing that transdermal stimulant throughout the night, which is going to cross the blood brain barrier and definitely can worsen dreams. So just taking the patch off while you're sleeping um, and then uh, applying the patch to a clean, dry, non-hairy area of, of skin and, um, you know, rotate the application site to avoid that skin irritation that we talked about. Um, you're also supposed to obviously not cut or break apart the the patch and the the typical spots where they do it the left or right upper arm left or right side of, of chest on the back um, or like so the upper like right or left upper back or lower back is fine and if you rotate sites you got plenty to choose from so hopefully you don't become too bothersome to the skin yeah as you can imagine you want to avoid the center mass of your front or back because those are going to be bending and twisting and uh, anywhere where there'd be a crease is probably where you'd want to mm-hmm. avoid it. So, so it, even on your 
the belly beside your belly button is not a place where they recommend. So you can imagine the upper back, upper chest, lower back are places where you're not going to get a whole lot of creases. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, just can't, I can't have anything getting in my way of sit-ups. No. <laughs> Sitting up to grab more chips right. for me. For sure. Yes. Yeah, me too. I used to do sit-ups. Yes. We go through the lozenges. Yeah. So you also have the lozenges, which are obviously an oral option. Um, they come in four and two milligrams, like I said, over the counter. You can also get a prescription and maybe have them covered, but they're very cheap. Um, there's a recommendation about the dose as well if you're, and this is related to the first cigarette in the morning. So if your first cigarette is less than 30 minutes after waking, they recommend using the four milligram lozenge. If it's greater than 30 minutes after waking, they recommend using the two milligram lozenge. Um, you you uh, place this between the gum and the cheek and allow it to dissolve slowly. So you don't do what I do with pretty much every hard candy, which is just suck it to death on the top of your tongue and then get annoyed at that and just chew it. Mm. Um, you do not want to do that. So put it between the gum and the cheek, allow it to dissolve slowly. Um, you can use one every one to two hours, no more than 20 per day. Adverse effects are related to it irritating the mouth a bit. Apparently it's known for hiccups and heartburn. Also nausea as well might be related to if you're also smoking while using yeah. it um, or if maybe your dose is too high or something like that yeah. or you're using it too often. And, and the lozenges can be good because the patient can sort of titrate their dose if they're using it, especially if they're using it as like adjunct therapy for their cravings. Um, but it, it's also an, an oral substitute for cigarettes. So that um, not necessarily the hand to mouth routine, but just, you know, having something like, you know, you see people that quit smoking, they'll eat chips a lot or something. Yeah. Um, and Even then, people who don't smoke eat chips a lot like me. That is true. Just, it's true. <laughs> um, and then it can be add the lozenges can be added to a patient who's using the patches as kind of like their base therapy. Um, so they're, when they have situational cravings, they can use a lozenge to kind of handle that craving. Um, definitely easier to use than the, the gum um, in patients who have like dental work, dentures, things like that. Um, some of the disadvantages and the main one to think about would be just no food or drinks 15 minutes prior to using the, the medication or obviously during use as well. But um, it can interact with the absorption of the, the nicotine, obviously. And then there's the gum, and I'll tell you why it's a little bit, uh, a little more tricky, but it also comes in four and two milligrams, and those doses are similarly related to if you um, have your first cigarette within 30 minutes or after 30 minutes of waking. Um, but you want to, this is totally counterintuitive to how you do gum in general, but you want to chew it briefly, briefly until you feel your mouth tingle. Then you park the gum inside the cheek until the tingle fades, and then you repeat. So you, you don't just leave it there. You take it back out. You chew it again until you feel a tingling, mm -hmm. and then you park it again. Um, discard, and you do that for 30 minutes. So you discard it after 30 minutes. That's a lot of upkeep, in my opinion. Of, uh, yeah, I'm not, not a fan of that. I'm just so sure that the vast majority of people do not yeah. do that. I would do the, the chew and park technique for Two rotations. Two seconds. And then I'd go, I'm just going to chew this. I'd be like, I'm just going to swallow it. Like it's been 30 it. minutes already, right? <laughs> right. Spit it out. Um, but that's how you're supposed to do it, and that's probably how you get the best results to and avoid side effects. But um, you're supposed to use uh, one piece per hour with a max of 24 per day. Uh, similar irritation with um, in the mouth. Can also cause hiccups, heartburn, and nausea. And also jaw soreness from the chewing you know, I experienced, I, I would chew gum all day when I'd work my retail shifts. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the day, my jaw was really tired. And I actually ended up with like a clicking in my jaw. Like all the time, anytime I chew anything, I would click. I had to quit gum. Really? I had to quit gum. That's incredible. I had to gum cessate. That's, that, was, that must have been terrible. Yeah. You use Veronicline? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as far as some advantages to the gum, kind of like with the, the lozenges, you know, they, you can titrate the dose. They are, one, a good oral substitute for cigarettes, obviously, and then they can be used with the patches for situational cravings. Um, same, same with the, the gum, like with the lozenges, no food or drink 15 minutes prior to or, or during use. And then, like Cole said, educating the patient properly to make sure that they're, you know, chewing you know with proper technique um, and it can damage dental work dentures things so just be aware of that if someone's just had recent dental work done yeah um, there's another option uh, that i think is really interesting and that's the inhaler cartridge that i mentioned branded as as nicotrol um, but it's a puff into the mouth or throat um, that you can use until cravings subside it's not an inhaler you need to counsel not to inhale into the lungs uh, but you can use one cartridge every one to two hours, and each cartridge contains 80 puffs. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. I don't know. I kind of like this because it gives yeah. you uh, some flexibility, some customizability. As you, it works really quick. So as you feel the craving come on, you puff it mm-hmm. and mimics that hand to mouth motion, kind of like taking a puff of a cigarette. Um, you know, I, I don't. I haven't really. I haven't talked to anybody anecdotally who used it, but I feel like this is a good option. Yeah. So I had a patient actually just recently that um, I was talking to about smoking cessation. Had already met with um, the primary care provider, started the process of getting a nicotine replacement. Then the first time I met with her has, was having breakthrough cravings. Didn't want to do like verniclin or any of that. Wanted the nicotine replacement. So I added on the the gum that got you know the, in, some improvement. She went from like a three fourths of a pack down to a half pack, maybe a little bit less. But her her big thing was that hand to mouth sort of habit, especially like in the car. And so I used the in, I, I got her a prescription for the inhaler, and she loved that thing as far as like in the car and um, using if that hand to mouth type of, of habitual movement. And you know, she's like, this is great. I love and started weaning off even more like right away because she had that. So I've seen it where it'd be pretty useful in that situation and didn't really have any problems getting it covered or anything, which was nice. Nice. That's good. So yeah, so mimicking that hand to mouth ritual, that's t- tends to be where I think of the usefulness in, in this one. I think it is useful and it can also cause mouth irritation or coughing if yeah. they take a pull too hard. Yeah, they don't definitely like cold that do not inhale it like a yeah. albuterol. Yeah. The nasal spray is another formulation that's out there. Um, so it's available as a 10 milligram per ml solution. So you get 0.5 milligrams per spray and there's 200 sprays per bottle. So you have the dose is typically one spray in each nostril and um, you know, you kind of use the needed number of sprays every one to two hours with a max of 80 sprays per day um so it, yeah similar that cartridge was 80 80 per cartridge yeah um, it's a lot that's a lot and 80 i can i can imagine like i do flonase sometimes when i am like yeah some allergies i couldn't imagine doing 80 nasal sprays it's a lot yeah but allergies probably are a little different feeling than what nicotine withdrawal i would though, imagine so. i would imagine yeah <laughs> but uh, but uh same kind of thing you can titrate the dose with this you know the rapid delivery of nicotine because it's you know intranasal is definitely useful for some patients can be added to the patches just like the other options can be um but it's definitely uh probably the the most commonly you know cause of adverse effects compared to other nicotine replacement products and some users just can't tolerate the the nasal mucosal irritation that can happen from it yep um, bupropion? Bupropion. So this is the other prescription oral option um, that's not Chantix. Uh, and then as we go, th- we'll talk about which is preferred, but this is usually not first line. Chantix is usually first line. Um, but Bupropion SR, branded as Zyban, um, is the one that's specifically um, approved, approved for smoking cessation. The mechanism of action is believed to be that it blocks nicotinic receptors um, uh, in the brain, interfering with reinforcing effects of nicotine, so it reduces the positive feedback cycle. It was kind of an accidental discovery because, as it was being looked at for schizophrenic patients, um, uh, which it didn't work in, they found that um, that patients quit smoking. So mm-hmm. nice. Uh, it's 150 milligrams once a day for three days. Then you increase to one tablet twice daily. And again, with the quit date, you start it one to two weeks prior to the quit date. So you schedule the date, you go ahead and get started on it beforehand. Um, and it's not something that's really long term. It's used for three to six months um, during that um, portion that uh, to try to quit. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and I will say, unless the patient has you know, concomitant depression, obviously, sure, sure, and would benefit from that. You're but, killing two birds, as it were. Yeah. So, and I don't know if you, you guys have ever heard anybody describe, you know, the way cigarettes taste while they're taking bupropion, but um, I've heard it described as basically like it makes their mouth taste like an ashtray. And so the, the taste of the cigarettes becomes really disgusting. And that's one thing that can obviously help uh, along with the, the dopamine regulation and all that. Um, but also with, with bupropion, you get the appetite suppression as well. So in a patient who is worried about maybe their appetite going back up when they do quit, um, that can be you know, a good, good option maybe for add-on therapy for them. But uh, like Cole said, the, the FDA-approved version is the Zyban, so it's the sustained release formulation every 12 hours. Um, the extended release, the XL, like Wellbutrin, um, the immediate release formulations are not approved, but you know, it's, if you can't get brand name Zyban and, and you can get access to other bupropion formulations, that'll be, that'll be fine. Um, if the patient doesn't see any benefit after about seven weeks, um, they most likely can kind of 
change courses at that point because only about six to twenty percent efficacy reported in the literature um, past that point. Um, but it definitely can be useful, like, like I said, is like kind of adjunctive therapy if they do have some anxiety, you know, or depression associated with quitting or just as a you know comorbidity, um, then it can be uh, a beneficial uh, to benefit to those patients, even if it's not the main backbone of their therapy. Right. And it does have some adverse effects associated with it that we generally associate with Wolbutrin. Um, insomnia, headache, dry mouth, um, possible convulsions, or at least increase, um, or lowers the seizure threshold, mood changes. So you'd want to use caution and probably not use it in a patient with a history of seizures, um, or um, use caution with uh, head trauma, or a patient that bends drinks, um, or a patient with um, anorexia due to the potential weight loss. All right. So the last thing we'll kind of mention is this is not uh, by any means a, a go-to option. You probably have exhausted your other resources first, but there is some data with nortriptyline, um, one of our tricyclic antidepressants. Uh, it's not FDA approved for smoking cessation, and it does carry the same box warning as any of the other uh, antidepressants do. But, um, you know, the side effects are usually one of the reasons why we try to avoid these in, in smoking cessation, even though there is some data that support its use. Uh, the orthostasis that can happen, the anticholinergic effects, again, the effects on dreams, the weight gain, sedation, um, increased you know, sweating, all those things make it a lot harder to, for patients to, to tolerate nortriptyline or any of the other tricyclics. Um, you know, nortriptyline is a little bit better profile than compared to or adverse effect profile compared to like amitriptyline, but it's still something that uh, a lot of people can't tolerate. So it's it's an option potentially more of like a third line, fourth line option, but there is some data, like I said, with nortriptyline. Yeah. So if you're thinking about this as far as what you're going to start with and what you might go to first line, we're thinking Chantix or by itself or in combination with um, nicotine replacement therapy, and I'd probably say just go ahead and combine it with some sort yeah, of nicotine replacement therapy. I feel therapy. like most people now use combos. I would use both. I've even heard of uh, some of the smoking cessation clinics um, that are using like triple therapy right from the start. Bupropion, verenicolin, nicotine replacement. Oh, nice. Just throw the kitchen sink at you. I mean, I, don't, I, I get. I don't really see a reason not to. And right. ju- just because, like, th- this is kind of, I think, unique in, in this sense, and this might just be my opinion, but um, just because the quit attempt wasn't successful doesn't mean you can't retry those medications next time. There might be a different reason. Like the patient was like, no, that side effect did not work for me or something, but say that they went, did all the right things and the medication was fine. It's just that they relapsed. Like, why not? I think you can reuse it next time. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think the concern would maybe if like the, the debate against doing multiple medications like that once would be the compounding, you know, side effects or not knowing you know, is, well, the, is the nausea coming from I think, yeah, the dose or That's a good you. reason not to use combo. But like for but at least for a second or third or fourth or additional quit attempts, it seems oh, like yeah. you could retry them. For sure. Especially right. if I mean if they've had success in the past but they just kind of, you know, didn't didn't, t- didn't get didn't, there. Didn't stay with it or yeah. you know, whatever. I think that or just use that option plus and you know, augmentation option. Agreed. But, so if you're going more conservative, um, Chantix plus NRT, then you could try Bupropion plus NRT. Or those by themselves might can consider Pamela or after that or some combination therein. And the patient I was telling you about with that nicotine inhaler basically started off with, had already tried Berenaclin and was like absolutely opposed to, to using it again because the dreams were so bad. Um, wanted bupropion because it had had some success with that in the past just for depression. Uh, and so he started off with bupropion and the nicotine patches. She was smoking over a pack a day. And then that first regiment got down to a half pack. And then that's where the, the gum was added in is like just for breakthrough cravings. And then that got her down to, you know, further, a little bit further. And then from there, the inhaler was taking it the rest of the way. Nice. So it's multiple, I mean, four drugs essentially at the end of it, but used it the appropriate time. I mean, if you get there. Yeah. If you, if you get, get there, there, that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. It's about the that's des- what I said. It's about the destination, not the journey. There's yeah. Is that right? I don't think so. I think there's some people who disagree. How many with that. Col- colloquialisms can we think of? Yeah, we can barely even say the word. <laughs> Anything else with uh, smoking cessation? No, I think we got it. Um, there's definitely a lot of good uh, options out there. So for those of you who like um, 
you know, and they, they need patient assistance. You know, there's smokefree.gov. There's um, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Um, there's the uh, the Truth Initiative. There's several different, you know, whether they be web-based or, you know, group-based programs to assist patients in their the road to quitting. And there is some good data around um, quit rates, improved quit rates with good follow-up with either group support, individual support, telephonic support, that sort of thing. So Absolutely. Good follow-up is important. Yep, yep. So that's all we got for you today, guys. Um, again, if you're already a free CE member, make sure that you uh, use the code and, and go take the post-activity test to claim your credit. Um, for those of you who want more like traditional-style lectures um, and don't want our tangents and getting off topics like we do pretty much every episode, um, check out the Patreon because we have uh, various pharmacotherapy lectures on there with the PowerPoint slides you can download and everything. So it's patreon.com slash coreconsultrx. If you have any questions for Cole or myself, um, reach out to us. The emails are in the show notes. You can text us directly at the number in the show notes or reach us on any of the social media platforms. And um, to, to say hey to our old uh, friend and sponsor, Pearls, um, they have a new smoking cessation uh, pharmacotherapy review that's on their app. So if you have not joined Pearls yet, go www.pearlspyrls.com slash coreconsultrx and check out the, the app and all their great charts and algorithms. The, their website just keeps adding more and more uh, content. So check them out. But that's what I got. It's great seeing you, everybody, again, or listening to us talk or something <laughs> like that. You know, Grace, hearing you guys' spirit. Interacting with you over five. We did hear from some people live. That's true, yeah. So I wasn't totally off base. No. Anyways, see you guys later.